the Addisons. Let me say this, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to be careful and make sure that in everything, man, we are trying to get as close to what the word says as possible. And we got to understand that with that type of wickedness, man, you know, God does not wink at that. That's judgment. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. And you don't have shades of truth. You have truth or you have error. You have fact or you have fiction. And now we go into the thick of it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, welcome to Monday. Thank you Monday. so much for tuning in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And Sherry B is over in Studio CC. Great to have Sherry B back with us on this, which for some people is a holiday. Some people have off MLK, yeah. MLK Day yeah, today. a bunch of people with off. Some schools mm-hmm. have off and things like that. And so, um, but we're with you. We thought about calling in black. <laughs> um, I don't know if that. We, <laughs> I mean, you know, people take sick days. Yeah, they have man. like vacation days. I they mean, have, you know, like an emergency day. I yeah. figure if it's MLA, MLK day, we could just call and be like, hey, yo, we're black. <laughs> so we're not coming in today. We have a darker paint job. We like, have a darker paint job. Like Uncle Lonnie and, used to say. Yeah. <laughs> So, so let me say this real quick, and then um, and then I'll move on because we got a lot we want to get to today, mm-hmm. and then I'll have to issue a little bit of a warning, but just a little bit to make mm-hmm. you laugh as you start your week with with the Addisons. So you know we have taught our kids that even though in our country we say black and white, mm-hmm. and I, I want them to understand what people mean when they say that, right? But we didn't lead with that in the way that we trained them, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> so I know it makes things a little more complicated because we taught them that um, you know. People are not black or white. Right. But we taught them what Ken Ham taught us, that they're shades <laughs> of brown. Right. And so they describe people literally by color. Mm-hmm. Right. And they don't use that as a synonym for like ethnicity. Mm-hmm. Well, as they've gotten older and they hear people saying black or white, you know, we've had to teach them what that means. Mm-hmm. But we didn't lead with that. So we, we've been forced to teach them what that means. Right. Well, anyway... We're playing the game, guess who? You guys remember the game, guess who, where each of you has a character and then you ask questions, you flip down your character and all of that. Right. And so our kids literally are asking, (laughs) is your character medium brown? (laughs) Is your character orange? Some of them have a little bit of an orange kind of hue to them, you know? I know. So so anyway, we had some some family over. Uh (laughs) We're playing guess who? And one person said, is your character black? (laughs) <laughs> and JD said, there's no character that's black. <laughs> They're like, come on, man. People are like, man, guys, what are y'all doing with your kids? Like, what are you, they just don't understand. It's like, oh, no, boy. you know, you got to work a little bit harder, but you can do it if you want. <laughs> right, you know. Right, right. Anyways, um, let's move on. I have another joke about guess who, but I'm going to save it because it's not, it's not Friday. Okay. It's Monday. It's Monday, but it's not, it's not Friday. So it's anyway, Monday. remind me, remind Monday. me if you can. Mm-hmm. Remind me on if you can on Friday. I'm probably gonna forget to go about <laughs> about this joke that you said you had on Monday. About yeah, about guess who? Yeah, I'll try. <laughs> All right. Um, I was just I was just trying to imagine if the if we were uh-huh. if we had to submit ourselves to political correctness. Mm. at all times in our homes if we made ourselves victims of that oh my goodness and playing guess who with the children oh I, okay i know you remember so i wouldn't yeah. i wouldn't be able like right now i say is your character a male right so i wouldn't be able to do that i'd have to say is your character a them 
<laughs> or well, a zim. Yeah. Or a zir. That's foolishness. Or a, or a that yeah, like that it does that? it makes what no is that? sense. I mean, look. it makes no sense, and you, and you can't you can't play the game really. No. All right. Anyways, so there there you go. I guess it's really not a joke because that's kind of funny. Yeah, that it's, is, that it's is like true. funny, not funny, but it's sad. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, Anyways, um. All right. So we had a great weekend. Yes, this weekend. great weekend. We were at First Baptist in Fulton, Mississippi. We got it right by getting there. You know, we didn't get lost. No, our, right. Our we, announcement we was. <laughs> We stink at announcements, but we directions we're okay with. Yeah, we yeah. can do. We can follow yeah. directions. Yeah. Wonderful time with the body of Christ. I so love the bride of Christ. I love mm-hmm. to be around people who love Jesus Amen. unapologetically, and we had a great time on yes. Sunday morning with the body of Christ. I we usually don't eat before we speak anywhere. Mm-hmm. I just have a hard time. I just my personal thing. I just I don't really like. To, I just kind of I can focus right, thinking right, about right, what we're going right. to talk about. And um, and so we were. Uh, there was this wonderful full hot breakfast. Oh yeah, man! You know, like the people's breakfast. Yes. Okay. It wasn't like, yeah, you're staying at our hotel. You know. Right, right, right. Go get a muffin. <laughs> it was the people's breakfast. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, real deal. And um, and so I was like, oh man, we really don't usually eat. And it wasn't until after the 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 fellowship was over. Yeah. That uh, you and I were like, man. Yeah, we, we missed should, it. We should have gotten some breakfast. <laughs> Should've, you know, you know, some, because you have you have the some eggs and bacon. You have that, and then you have where well, you speak, but then you have afterwards you, you're talking you're with ta- people. Oh yeah, you're, yeah. You're, there's you're, no you know, time for eating so, after that. You know, but then when all that's over, and you look over, and you're like, oh. <laughs> you're going home. It's too you're late. <laughs> yeah. One other thing, I know I'm I'm the queen of jokes today, and I know it's not Friday. One other thing, my brother and my my sister and my brother-in-law were in town. They were expecting yes. their first baby, mm-hmm. and um, and it was we did a gender reveal at our home yes which was wonderful and so they're having a boy mm-hmm. it's really really exciting well anyway somebody mentioned that my <laughs> that my brother-in-law um once purchased some low sodium bacon that exists <laughs> wait so, so now wow so i've never even heard of that so my brother-in-law bless his heart you know he's two years into our family mm-hmm. okay he's gonna learn right he's yeah. two years into our family and um, so we clown everybody right. without mercy. Yeah. And so they said, yeah, you know, Nick was like, you know, he bought low sodium bacon. Mm-hmm. And my sister was like, I'm like, what is this? What are you doing? And so my question was like, I mean, what does that taste like? I would imagine that it tastes Man. like previously chewed bacon. Ugh, if all the salt's That's gone. Gross. Yeah. Like, <laughs> how do you how do you do that? Like, how do you because because bacon and pork is by nature. I like, mean, that's what like, it how is. Do you, Take that out. I think if you go back to the original Greek, pork means salt. <laughs> if you take out the Hebrew, drop the one and carry the I. That just seems what it like is. it's impossible. It's salt. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, I mean, that's I feel funny. like there's I, someone in a factory that just pre-chews it. Ugh, that's gross. <laughs> All right, we're moving on. Yeah, please. Let's, hey, let's um, I want to give I want to give a little bit of a disclaimer and some parental um, advisory mm-hmm. messages here, and and we may not need them right right now. But in the second and third segments of the show, we're going to talk again about human trafficking. As you remember, some months back, we mentioned that, man, we really want to do our part to make sure that we're sounding the alarm and calling attention to this ill in our country. I mean, it's just it is unimaginable um, to learn what is happening in our country daily as it pertains to the sale of women and Mm. children, Mm -hmm. uh, young boys, Mm -hmm. all right? Mm -hmm. And so we're going to talk about that, but you really are not going to want to have little kids listening to that because we'll get into some of the details of a new documentary that has a one-night viewing this week, 
And so we'll give you all of the information there, all the details. And hopefully, as we talk about this documentary, we'll also pick up some more information um, about human trafficking, mm -hmm. hopefully to provoke us to some form of action. So yeah. um, when we come back from the break, I'll issue that disclaimer again. And, uh, and then we'll get into it. But, well, I wanted to ask you something, and, and sure. you and I have been talking about this for a while. What is going on with Mississippi prisons? Yeah, it, it caught my attention because I have a friend, you know, who's, who's in prison. And uh, it seems like the conditions, he's been telling me that the conditions there have been bad for a, a while. And so um, I, I think they're having some, some problems you know, with the the, the conditions uh, mm -hmm. being like very uh, inhumane, mm -hmm. and um, you know, just a lot, there's a shortage of guards, uh, a shortage of of people to work to you know to uh, be with the prisoners and stuff yeah, like to, that to bring order to bring keep, order because okay. of uh, not wanting to pay, you know, mm -hmm. the proper uh, amount of money, and the conditions are terrible. Yeah, and lately they they've had like I think four or five murders. Yeah that's taking place uh, in a uh, parchment uh, prison mm -hmm. and, and in, in, in that prison, but I think also in another prison, but there's been, there's been, there's been a lot of uh, violence. Mm -hmm. And as a result, I think now the government, you know, the local government is starting to see like, we need to do some things, you know, uh, now, but it seemed like funds were uh, asked about like before, mm -hmm. like, <laughs> two were, times before but, but was denied. denied yeah so now it seems like it, something has to be done because yeah. of the violence taking place and i think it's gang related type mm -hmm. violence but it's like man that you don't have enough people to, to guard and to to keep the peace in, in so, there, is, so is money the only solution to that is it just a matter of um having the funding to hire more people to guard the prisons That's and keep order in the That's and, and to i guess do renovations like it seems like the conditions are terrible Mm -hmm. You know, and look, I'll just say this. We have Christian brothers and sisters in prison. Yeah. Like yeah, genuine, the friend, like the friend real, you're talking about, yes. like our brother and sister brother in, in the Christ. Lord. Yeah. And that's something that we should take, uh, uh, you know, con into consideration that, man, these are, are people made in the image of God, Amen. you Amen. know, and for that to be in humane conditions like that, where, you know, at times there's no water or there's times where, you know, they can't. It's, it's, it's horrible conditions and uh some people may in their mind just say well they're in prison they're not no yeah but they don't give up their humanity right they not at all being human not at all you so know, i and, think something needs to be done about it and let me say this i know that i'm always beating the gong of understanding that the, the <laughs> understanding the role that the church has played throughout the history of of the world well, i say of the world in the last two thousand years you talk about specifically the church of the lord jesus christ mm -hmm. um i think it's important for us to recognize that again, and, and you know, we can know this when we go back and mm -hmm. study church history and look at the footprint yeah. of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in the world. Um, Christians undertook the plight and the cause of prisoners. Yeah. Because if you want to talk about inhumane prison conditions, go back 2000 years, go back 1500 <laughs> years. You understand yeah. even some of our suffering brothers and sisters yeah. who were imprisoned for the faith were yeah. enduring inhumane conditions. Yeah. But it was the body of Christ who undertook their care. Yeah. Who said who went to their aid, you yeah. know. No, and so right. I think when we fast forward to today in 21st yeah. century America, we cannot disconnect our Christianity from this cause as well, that no. you have people who are made in the image of God. Right. And if you are without running water for over a month. Yeah. I mean, I was told that, you know, from December 11th till yesterday, like no water. From, from December 11th to 
until yesterday, yeah, there was no running water in one of the prisons here in Mississippi. Yeah, and the facilities, you know, were in bad condition. They had some storms that came through, mm-hmm. and so they lost power. Not only there, but in some other areas around there. But in the prison, they lost power and different things like that. And and, and put that on top of not having enough manpower to like, Good night. you know, it's just a bad situation. And it seemed like something like this, as far as the murders and all that, was going to take place at, at some point. We we should care if we're pro life. Mm-hmm. If we're pro life, yeah. this we should care about this as well. That's right. You know, That's and right. and I and one of the things that kind of got under my skin about it, I, I see where Jay Z. I was going to ask you about that. Tell me about Jay Z. Um, yeah, Jay Z and his Rock Nation, you know, um, have have gone into to to sue, you know, uh, on the behalf of some of these um, inmates, you know, who are crying out about these deplorable conditions, and I, I feel like. He's right on that. I feel like that's right to do, but I feel like that's something that the that church, him, yeah, yeah, should undertake, um, and, and and we should be on the front lines for that, you know. But they're doing something, and I I, I think something should be done, you know. Uh, it's just a, the ma- a matter of who's doing it that bothers me. Here's the story: Rap mogul Jay Z sued the head of the Mississippi Department of Corrections and the warden of the state penitentiary on Tuesday. I guess this was last week. Yeah on behalf of 29 prisoners who say that two officials have done nothing to stop the violence that's left five inmates dead in the past two weeks. Yeah. In the past two weeks. Here's a, a quote here um, from the lawyer, Alex Spiro, I guess, who I guess filed the lawsuit on behalf of Jay-Z representing these, mm-hmm. these prisoners. Um, here's the quote. These deaths are a direct result of Mississippi's utter disregard for the people it has incarcerated and their constitutional rights. You know, I I agree with you. I think the sad thing in all of this is that this is what people who um, have an ax to grind Mm -hmm. with Christians, Mm -hmm. they say, no, you're not pro-life because, look, you don't care about this, when in fact that isn't true. Mm -hmm. So my question then is, what is the Christian's response to this? I know at the very basic level, it's, information it's knowledge and it's care but then quickly from there what yeah i think churches have to be uh this is something that i think the churches have to take on and say hey we need to we need to have a voice to cry out about this and to uh maybe the church has to push push behind suing or or getting some things done to help the facilities and and all the people who are there yeah it's a shame that it's a a secular initiative yeah um but i think the church to our credit though i think it's the church that has the prison ministries the church that's yeah. going there and being the hands and yeah. feet of Jesus. That's so true. We have not forgotten. All right. Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. We'll take a, br- a break and we'll be right back. Give me you. Everything else can wait. Give me you. I hope I'm not too late. Welcome back. This is Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio, and we do appreciate you spending the hour with us. We don't take it for granted. We know that your time is precious, and so we want to do our part to engage you as the body of Christ, call you to action, and awaken your conscience. Um, One of the things that's really important to us is reminding the body of Christ of the role that we have played in history. Yeah. Like, we are the church of the Lord. Amen. Like we, you know, we are a new and a different group of people. That's right. And so our behavior has been different on the world stage, if you will, 
uh, for over 2,000 years. And mm. so here we are. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Um, our, our moment here in time, 21st century America, um, what will we do? Uh, how will we have our conscience awakened and stirred to the ills of our day? And yeah. so that's what we try yeah. to have a conversation around on a regular basis. Uh, welcome back to the program. I'm Miki. And I'm Will, and that's Shanna Wilson. Give me you. I want to issue this disclaimer and this parental advisory. And I do that because I know that sometimes kids will tune in, especially like on a Friday, we have a lighter show and mm -hmm. we might bring a kid in with us. Uh, but today's program is probably not going to be suitable for younger listeners. Part of having our, um, having our conscience is stirred involves getting some detail and some information that maybe makes us uncomfortable and um, may not be suitable for younger listeners. So I would like to issue this disclaimer out of respect for parents uh, so that you're not forced to have a conversation that your kid might not be ready for. Yeah. And if that is the case, I would say <laughs> move them away yeah. <laughs> right now. So, But um, having said that, let's continue on with the program and then uh, learn more. Because we, we talked about this several months ago, interviewed um, a couple guests as we were talking about human trafficking. Mm -hmm. And I would say even then, our eyes were opened to what yeah. we, I mean, we just did not realize. Right how big and how grand of an issue this is in the United States of America. So we're going to talk about human trafficking. But first, let me formally introduce our, introduce our guest uh, who's with us this afternoon. Jeffrey Rogers is the CEO and co-founder of the U.S. Institute Against Human Trafficking and the producer of the faith-based documentary Blind Eyes Open. We're going to spend some time talking about that as well. It is in uh, theaters January 23rd. Um, and it's a one night only showing. So if you want to learn more about that, and we'll talk about it throughout the, uh, the show, you can go to blindeyesopened.com, blindeyesopened.com. Jeffrey, thank you so much for joining us today. Nikki, thank you for having me on the program. I certainly appreciate you and Will putting a light, shining a light on this very dark subject. You know, I think we have to know. I think there is... You know, in the body of Christ, and, and I, I just have to believe that this is true, Jeffrey, that when our eyes are open, when we really understand what we are battling against, that we will be moved to action. I think that one of the greatest deceptions and I guess what has led to our inaction has just really been not seeing. I don't, I don't think it's that people are unwilling to see. I think people just don't know what to look for. Can we talk a little bit about what you discovered um, in, in your work, working on this documentary, what is the plight of human beings in this country as it pertains to human trafficking? Well, certainly, and I'll tell you that it's been a six-year journey for my wife and I as we've produced this film through our production company, The Ships of Tarshish. Mm -hmm. And it, it's just been amazing to learn the truth of what's happening here in America. Many people that are aware of human trafficking think that it's still something that happens overseas, and it does in Thailand, Cambodia, all across the world. But the reality is we have a major issue of this problem here inside America. We would estimate there are well over 100,000 kids under the age of 18 that are trafficked for sex every single year in America. Mm -hmm. These are American-born kids being purchased for sex by American citizens and being sold by American citizens. So this is an American problem here within our own borders that we as the body of Christ, has got, we have got to get a grip on. And according to the U.S. State Department, the U.S. is one of the leading consumers of sex trafficking. Um, when we think about it, you know, I have to tell you, so when I, when I started looking into this just a few months back, right, at the end of, of last year, I was shocked to understand how much of an appetite that Americans have for illicit sex. And I hate to put it that way, 
But that's what we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. You know, we think that we are a better nation than we are. Mm. Help us make sense of that. Well, we recognize sex trafficking to be a supply answer to a demand problem. So the problem does lie in the demand. And if we as a society really want to get a handle on this problem and begin to make substantial differences, we're going to have to grapple with where the demand is coming from Mm -hmm. and what does it look like and what's fueling it. So Mm -hmm. that's one of the things the film does dive deep into as well is what's fueling that demand. Well, let's scratch the surface, Jeffrey. I know that, and we want to encourage people to get tickets and to go out and see it so that you can be, you can be sparked. You want to have a, a righteous indignation toward the wickedness that we see happening all around us. But, I mean, to say it succinctly, and you can go as deep as you want with this, part of the demand is the addiction to pornography that exists in our culture, correct? Pornography is recognized as the number one fueling factor that's driving sex trafficking in America today. And here, here's why, if we can explain this. Yes. We've, we recognize there are an estimated 60 to 70% of American men today that are either addicted to pornography or regularly looking at it. Mm. 30% of women in America in that same category. Mm. And one study actually identifies 50% of pastors are regularly looking at pornography. And so the first thing to recognize is we have a massive problem of pornography consumption in America. The average age of exposure for young children to hardcore pornography is age 11. So that's the first thing to recognize is the mass scale of pornography consumption in America today. But then to understand, well, how is this fueling sex trafficking? I call it a downward spiral into depravity. Mm -hmm. And here's what I mean by that. Mm -hmm. It's now been shown through scientific studies that pornography is just as physiologically addictive in the brain as hardcore drugs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so with drugs, the individual is always seeking that same high and can never achieve it. And so they're always seeking out more drugs and harder core drugs. Well, the same thing occurs with pornography, where the same type of porn does not achieve the same level of arousal. And therefore, the individual finds themselves on this downward spiral where they begin to seek out harder core, more violent, more deviant, and younger pornography. Mm. So it's this downward spiral into this pit. And then we do know also a certain portion of those individuals at some point want to begin to actualize what they've been visualizing. And hence, they begin to seek out purchase sex. So... That's really the path that we can draw of how the mass problem of pornography is fueling an increase in sex trafficking here in America today. Is it also connected, Jeffrey, to the explosion of the access to pornography? I mean, because it seems that, you know, in in recent months and and years, I guess, here, we've just been, there are certain terms and phrases that you start to hear. It seems like it comes out of the blue and then you hear it all the time. And, and it's so, the, the access to pornography. And also, it seems like it's everywhere. Like, yeah. as far as you, you can access it or you can uh, be totally innocent trying to, you know, but it's just everywhere, yeah. like some form of it. Yeah. I, like I, I say to people, you know, there are certain news stories you go to read and in the sidebar, you're just going, right. Lord, help <laughs> us. You know, we our culture is very depraved. So I guess what I'm asking is 
How have we seen such an uptick in human trafficking and sex trafficking? And as we make the correlation to um, pornography, is mm-hmm. it the increased access to pornography? Because people have watched pornography. And then, and I always say that this was like the battle of the, the 90s. Mm-hmm. My call is that it's not over, that we still need to be fighting this yeah. war against pornography. But I'm wondering if it's having access in your cell phone or you know, on, on your smart devices and mm-hmm. things like that. Miki, great question. It has everything to do with access. Like I said, the average age of exposure is 11. Back when I was a child, the only way you could access pornography was through magazines, mm-hmm. and you would have to go into a store and buy them. And be able to buy them is very difficult, right? Whereas now, children, anybody of all ages, can access violent, deviant, hardcore pornography free of charge on any computer, any cell phone, any tablet, a lifetime supply in an instant. And so this is one of the greatest perils that we have regarding pornography consumption is the access to it. And that's why at the U.S. Institute Against Human Trafficking, one of the things we're very focused on right now up in Washington, Mm D.C., is one of our legislative priorities is to child-proof pornography on the Internet. And here's what I mean by that. So today, if a child goes into a bookstore, they can't buy a pornography magazine. It's against the law. If a child goes in to try to buy alcohol, they can't buy alcohol in a store. It's against the law. If they try to buy cigarettes, they can't if they're underage. And in any one of these cases, if the store sells them that product, the store is actually held liable for it and criminally liable. Whereas on the Internet, it's free access to this hardcore pornography, and there is nothing in place right now to come against those companies that are giving these products, giving this pornography, to these children for free. And so we're very focused right now on putting some putting some barriers in place to essentially child-proof pornography on the Internet. Yes, no, I agree. And and I know that, you know, I, I want to continue our discussion about human trafficking, but if we could just stay here because, Jeffrey, this is, a and, and you know this, Will and I know this, we talk about this on the show, mm-hmm. pornography addiction is a bigger problem in the church than yeah. we care to admit. And yeah. and, and the, the reason I really want to drill down here is because I don't want people walking away going, oh, those poor people mm-hmm. sold into sex slavery mm-hmm. and feel like they don't have any part to play in it. For the people who are viewing and quote unquote enjoying what they think is a victimless pleasure, mm-hmm. I think that people need to feel the weight of that yeah. and understand that Definitely. there is a direct connection to what they say they are free to enjoy. They're not hurting anybody. And I'm talking about people that we would call brothers and sisters in the Lord. If you've got 50% of pastors who are viewing pornography, you've got youth pastors who are addicted. You've got men who can't function. They are addicted to pornography. Their brains have been disordered because of it. That's right. This is a huge issue. Well, it is. And in the film, one of the individuals that, that we interview says that every time you click on a porn image on the website, you're actually increasing the demand for your children or somebody else's child regarding sex trafficking here in America. Mm -hmm. So that's why in the film we do dive into this because it is such a critical issue. Now, the one thing I'll mention is that we're not trying to be condemning at all. This is not to condemn, but it's really to allow the Holy Spirit to convict people to recognize that this is a problem and it is fueling the sex trafficking industry inside of our own country. And this is why the film has been produced, is to call the church to action, to call the church to engage in this topic. And 
if they do nothing other than engaging in the pornography problem within their own congregants, then they are absolutely engaging in the fight against sex trafficking today. That's why we produced this film, is to engage the church into this battle. Let me remind our listeners, if they want to learn more about Blind Eyes Opened, they can go to blindeyesopened.com, blindeyesopened.com. The documentary will be in theaters for one night, um, January 23rd. And if you want to get tickets to this event, you can go to blindeyesopened.com, blindeyesopened.com. Jeffrey, let's talk about the victims. Let's transition to that. You know, who are the victims of sex trafficking? Well, when we mention the 100,000 kids in America that are trafficked for sex every year, 60 to 70 percent of them come out of the foster care system. So foster care is really the main feeder system for the sex trafficking industry. But that's not to say, obviously, they're all coming from that. The, the, the problem of sex trafficking crosses every socioeconomic boundary, every class, every racial disparity in our country. So it is truly affecting everyone in every single community. What these traffickers are doing is they're looking for young kids with low self-esteem. So while some kids are abducted, that's really not the way most kids are lured into this industry today. The number one way that kids are lured into the industry is by what we call a Romeo pimp or a Romeo trafficker. It's an older man who's looking for young girls, in this case, with very low self-esteem. And so they're looking for them either on the playground or at bus stops or in the school, or they're looking for them, the number one way is they're looking for them on the internet, prowling social media. And they engage with these young girls that they find that have low self-esteem. They begin to show them attention, maybe shower them with gifts. And over time, begin to act like their boyfriend. Well, she, all the while, unknowingly falls in love with this guy, even though he's older, because he's the first man she's ever had show him this kind of oh, attention. Lord. So she thinks he's a boyfriend, and he will groom her for 6 to 9 to 12 months, intentionally grooming her through this process. And at some point, though, he will flip a switch, essentially saying, you now work for me. And at that point, she's too far gone, and she will do anything to basically do anything for this guy to keep in his good graces. So I'm hearing then that there is there is a first-line defense uh, against sex trafficking, and that would be intact families. That would be fathers being present, um, showing their daughters healthy affection, defending and protecting them. I mean, I, I don't mean to make a quantum leap here, but it just seems that what you're talking about is the absence of a father that could be fueling um, this, this girl's vulnerability. Well, it's amazing when you say that because I think back to so many discussions that I've had up in Washington, D.C. over the past several years, members of Congress, members of the administration, and how many of our discussions have led to, yes, it's a breakdown of the family. So it's getting back to the family values and putting God back at the center of our dining room tables and God back at the center of our families to restore these broken families. That's how we can make the biggest difference. All right, Jeffrey, I want to grab this break here and I want to come back and talk more about the documentary. I want to know how your eyes were open in, in producing this film. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about it. The website, again, is blindeyesopened.com, blindeyesopened.com. I encourage you to go there, learn more about this documentary, and see how you might be a part of it on January 23rd. 
We got to grab the break. This is Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. Our guest, Jeffrey Rogers, will return with us in just a couple of minutes. Stay close. He put that hunger in your heart. He put that fire in your soul. His love is the reason to keep on believing. When you feel like giving up. When you feel Welcome like back to Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. I want to remind you that you can always get the podcast for the show. You have questions. We try to put links to the stories we discuss, and um, certainly we'll put the link blindeyesopened.com in the podcast notes. If you go to uh, AFR.net, you can always download that and listen when you have time. Maybe you're with your kid and you had to turn it down and you go back. You know you mm-hmm. know that in the future you can always listen to it when you have the time. Uh, welcome back to the program. I'm Miki. And I'm Will, and it's Unspoken with Reason. Our guest is Jeffrey Rogers, and he's the CEO and co-founder of the U.S. Institute Against Human Trafficking, and he's the producer of the documentary we're talking about today, Blind Eyes Opened, Mm -hmm. but we're also going a little bit deeper and talking about sex trafficking. Jeffrey, I'm just wondering, uh, in 2011, when you left IBM as a corporate executive and uh, you decided to pursue this nonprofit ministry work here, um, what was the driving conviction behind that? Like, what, what... what did you learn that caused you to walk away from IBM? Well, God was doing such an amazing thing in our family. My wife, Carrie, and I were really just pursuing all that he had for us. And one of the things I say is that I had an incredibly blessed career at IBM, but near the end, it just got to where it felt like each rung on that corporate ladder that I had achieved became more and more hollow. Mm-hmm. And so we knew for a matter of years God was really stirring us into ministry of some kind, but didn't know what that looked like. But in 2011, as you said, we did. We, we made the decision to step out and into ministry, and we founded the Ships of Tarshish, mm-hmm. which is the nonprofit organization. It's the ministry that's the production company that produced Blind Eyes Open. And so uh, didn't really know what was to come, but the first project we did was called Surrender the Secret, mm-hmm. which was a 10-episode Christian reality TV series on post-abortion recovery. Oh, and yes. so that was an amazing project. We ended up putting it out on the Internet. It got picked up by Christian networks here in the United States as well as globally, so it really kind of took off. But then around 2014, we began to pray for God to show us what the next topic should be that we focus on. And through our board of directors, we began to learn about this thing called sex trafficking. And so it was about six years ago that we decided to begin this production. It's been an incredible six-year journey to finally come to the point now where the film is done and being released nationwide on January 23rd. And again, I want to remind our listeners, blindeyesopened.com. If you want to get tickets to see that one night, January 23rd, blindeyesopened.com. Jeffrey, I'm curious to know how you have changed in the six years working on this project. I, you know, I, I hope that doesn't sound like like a, a simple question, but I'm, I'm just imagining that even the more that I learn in interviewing people and talking about sex trafficking, I walk away going, I had no idea. But here you are, you're you know, delving deeply into this. How have you changed in six years? Well, Miki, that's an insightful question, actually, because when we first started the project, we really thought it was going to be maybe a year to a year and a half project and then move on to the next critical social issue. Mm-hmm. But what happened was, I'll never forget, when... We met the first 
survivor we had ever talked to of sex trafficking here in America. She she came into our home and sat down in our living room and shared her story with us. There wasn't a dry eye in the home. And that night, our lives changed. And then weeks later, we met our the, the next survivor of sex trafficking who was trafficked here in America. And I'll never forget hearing her story for the first time, and our lives were forever changed. And what happened was that happened over and over and over again with all six survivors that end up being featured in the film. Our lives were just utterly changed. And then as we began to travel the country, we ended up with 42 interviews that are in this film, which is really becoming what people are calling one of the most comprehensive films on sex trafficking in America that has ever been put out. And so as we traveled the country and learned of the massive scale of the problem, and then we could relate it to the individual stories that we had heard, it was about three years into the journey. I remember sitting down with my wife and just saying to her, look, I don't feel like this is a social issue, and then we're just going to move on to the next one. Mm. I really feel like God is calling our family to commit ourselves to this full time. And she readily agreed. And actually, through the film, we ended up meeting Kevin Malone, former general manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers, who lived in L.A. at the time. It was about four years ago. And we all agreed that we wanted to work towards ending human trafficking in America and that there was an opportunity to help in that way. And so collectively, we co-founded the U.S. Institute Against Human Trafficking. And so for the last three and a half years, this is now the organization I've been running. We've committed ourselves to this full time. Mm -hmm. So it has radically changed our lives as our perspectives were changed and as we began to learn the truth of what's really happening here in our own country. How do we see it, Jeffrey? I, I understand that once people are made aware and once they can see or they can spot sex trafficking, then they will notice it more frequently. They will understand that it's a bigger problem than, than we've admitted or even that we've realized. But I, I think the question is, how, how do we open eyes to be able to see what is happening in any town, including any small town USA? And that's one of the key things that this film does try to focus on is it really starts with awareness and a recognition that we as parents or as grandparents we need to become aware of what those signs look like. Or we as educators, teachers in the school system need to be aware. We as pastors and youth pastors need to see it. We as healthcare workers need to be able to recognize it. Because we know, for example, 88% of individuals that are trafficked, they actually see a healthcare worker at some point while they're being trafficked. And so for healthcare workers, part of the education there is to look for women who come in with a man who's with them and she doesn't have money. She doesn't have access to her own identification. Uh, she, she doesn't even really speak for herself. And so there are certain signs like that that healthcare care look, workers can look for in the school system or even as parents or grandparents. When we're looking at our children, we're looking for dramatic changes in their personality mm-hmm. or very good grades all of a sudden dropping off a cliff or overly tired or extremely truant from school and nobody quite knows why. So those are some of the signs. Or, for example, they get new cell phones or new clothing or new jewelry, and yet nobody quite knows where those things are coming from. Mm. Now, one thing I'd say is we always caution this discussion because we're dealing with teenagers, and so we know teenagers are are dealing with a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. So parents or educators that see these signs, it doesn't automatically mean that they're being trafficked. But what it really is is an indicator 
that should prompt us to ask not only the first question, but the second or the third question and really probe what's going on. And one of those stories is actually shown in the film where a teacher dared to ask the second and third question of a little little nine-year-old girl. And because of that, they were able to uncover what was happening to her and, and get her out of that situation. Wait, and you're talking about a nine-year-old girl that was discovered as a sex trafficked worker. She was asked some questions where it was understood or learned that she was a victim of sex trafficking. Well, unfortunately, we, we recognize the most common age of exposure for young girls into this industry is somewhere between 12 and 14 years old. And unfortunately for boys, when in fact, by, by the way, most people don't even understand boys are trafficked. Of the numbers I've described of kids trafficked in America, one DOJ-funded study that we cite estimates 36% of trafficked kids in America are boys. And if we look at the age that young boys are brought into the industry, it can be around 11 to 12 years old. So it's even younger than the girls that they're brought in. How does the church respond to this, Jeffrey? Like, what, well, it's unthinkable. It is. It it's is unthinkable. I just, I pause, you know, we have five kids, Jeffrey, and our oldest will be 13 at the end of the month. And then we have an 11 year old daughter. And, you know, the nature of what we are discussing, um, I try to imagine that kind of trauma, you know, in my two daughters. I try to imagine, and I cannot fathom that. I cannot think or imagine them being sold for someone's pleasure sexually and, and then them trying to function and recover from that. But, but people... Let me ask yeah. this question. Yeah. What would you do if you found out one of your kids was being trafficked, right? And this is, this is actually a question we've asked ourselves many times. It's almost a dichotomy that I'll describe because if it was my own children, I have three young boys, if it was one of my children, I would do anything. Mm -hmm. I would break every single law necessary to go save my child out of that situation. Mm. But the dichotomy is, okay, if it's somebody else's child, then what am I willing to do? And if I'm not willing to go to the same length, does that mean that that child is worth less than my own? Oh. This is a very difficult situation. It's a very difficult one to struggle with. But I'll tell you that these kind of thought processes and the re this reality that we're talking about is what has caused us to commit our lives to fighting this. And so you ask what the church should do. The yes. church has got to engage. The body of Christ has got to engage on this topic as we've traveled the country and probably talked with over a thousand organizations now. I don't have a real stat on this, but I would estimate 80 to 90 percent of all people in America that have committed themselves to fighting sex trafficking are Christians. Mm. God is calling his church and his body to engage on this with a sense of urgency. So it's a matter of churches engaging and engaging with ministries and organizations within their own community that are helping to fight this and help those organizations to do what they're doing best. It's also engaging churches to step up and address, as we talked about earlier, this massive problem of pornography, because this is a generational battle that we're going to be fighting for decades as we try to curb the tide of the implication of what pornography has really done to our society. You know, so to your point, and, and so we've, we've gone, we've doubled back to the discussion of pornography and this incredible addiction that we see in the church. And so 
I want to, I want to lovingly, as, as like as my brother in the Lord, I want to lovingly push back a little bit on something that you said, and I and I want to ask a question about it just to drill down again, and maybe it's a it's a question of semantics. So I agree with you that we don't want to condemn anybody who is um, using or watching porn or however you would describe that, but don't you think, Jeffrey? And people hate those questions, don't you think? Would you agree with me that shame is a blessing? That if, we, that if we are allowed to feel shame, then there is hope and there is the opportunity for repentance. I think part of the problem is we are almost headed in the wrong direction, not only in this country, but I'm speaking of the body of Christ, that we have lost our ability to blush or to feel shame because so much can be done in private and it's increased out in the open. And so nobody feels responsible for what they watch or what they quote unquote enjoy so while I don't want people to feel condemned, I agree with you. I do want people to feel shame. Am, am I wrong in that? Well, we definitely believe that it's a matter of being convicted by the Holy Spirit. Yes. That pornography is a sin and it needs to be addressed. But those individuals that are, are addicted to this and truly can't put it down, there's where we don't want the condemnation. But it's really to us a recognition that it is a physiological addiction in the brain. Mm-hmm. and our friends at the National Center on Sexual Exploitation out of Washington, D.C., are rightfully calling it a public health crisis. Mm. And so it's a matter of people recognizing that if they're deeply addicted to it, that they need to get help. And it's not necessarily something they can just put down, but they truly need to get help. And herein comes the value of really what we focus on in the film, and it is the hope in Jesus Christ. Amen. So while this film, this film does dive deep into the darkness, like many other films do, the one thing different about it is that it highlights the hope in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the hope of the world. And so at the really what it comes down to is a matter of the heart. And it's a matter of the heart of mankind that needs to get a hold of this. Mm-hmm. And so it's Jesus that can reach down into the hearts of men and into the hearts of women that are addicted to this, that are addicted to buying sex, that are fueling the sex trafficking industry, Jesus can get a hold of them as well and set them as captives free. Amen. No, I agree with you. And when you make that distinction, it helps me to understand the great care that must be employed when we talk about uh, there being then no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And of course, I agree with the word of God. I agree with you. Um, And I think there was a difference between people who are addicted and who are just like, no, I'm not hurting anybody. And, and maybe they, they, I don't know. And maybe they're all one and the same. And so there must be care employed there. I guess what I, what I just don't want to move away from is that there is no casual use of pornography. You're not just, you're not just innocently engaging in something that has no effect on anyone else. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with that. And like I said earlier, one of the individuals in the film says that every time you click on a porn image, you're yes. fueling the demand for sex trafficking of your own kids. Yes. All right, we have about a minute left in the show, and and I wanted to end on sort of a high note. Um, What gives you reason for hope? In addition to the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, based on the work that you've put in in the last six years, what gives you great hope, Jeffrey? What gives us hope is seeing communities around the country that have rallied together, fueled by the church, who can stand up and say, we are not going to allow this in our community any longer, and each sector of society standing up at the same time and affecting their own sphere of influence. We all have a sphere of influence, and if we take hold of it, we can stop the demand for purchased sex within our community. 
Jeffrey Rogers, everybody, CEO and co-founder of the U.S. Institute Against Human Traffic Trafficking. Jeffrey, thank you so much for this time. And thank you for this documentary, Blind Eyes Open. Thank you for the work that you and your wife and your whole family put into this. Again, I want to encourage our listeners to go to blindeyesopened.com, blindeyesopened.com. January 23rd, you have an opportunity to watch it in a theater near you. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, Lord willing. God bless.